You're listening to a podcast of The River in Durant, Oklahoma. We hope that what you're about to hear will bless you and empower you to live the life that God has called you to live. We hope that it will strengthen you in faith and that it will help you better understand and better recognize who you are in Christ Jesus. All right, as he's handing out the cards, I'm going to have Dr. John T. Holler come up and give us the word today. He told me it's going to be awesome, so I believe him. Good morning, everyone. You ready for the word? We talked about the blood about uh, two or three weeks ago in this uh, series. I started it it on uh, uh, foundational things. I'm back to that. I don't know how you're going to sort this out up there in the sound booth, try to find all these that are foundational, of course, sessions between, you know, all these others that are thrown in there, but got to work it out. In order to work it out somehow. But you remember what we said about the the, uh, the blood on the doorpost in Egypt? They put it on the top and on the sides, and it made a what? A bloody cross. That was because that's what Jesus died on the cross. That was bloody when he was done with it. But now, remember that that, that was the, the, their sign of uh, God having seen the cross, God having seen the blood. You see, they killed this animal in the house, poured out the blood, and they ate the meat. And then they took that blood and posted it. Yeah. When Jesus died on the cross, he had to take his blood up to heaven and post it. He is seated right now in blood. This is what the Bible tells us. You get the whole picture if you read it all. The book of Revelation says that Jesus is going to come back and he's going to have his vesture dipped in blood. Where did he dip his blood in vesture in blood in heaven? Where did he do that? Just one place. Seated on that mercy seat. That's where he sits right now. Sits in the blood of the covenant. Look at that. He sits in the blood of the covenant right now. Ugh, it goes all over me. Yeah. And it's not its not drying up. It's not getting old. It's active and powerful right now. Just like he just died. Just like this is though he just died. That's how fresh it is to God. He sits in the blood of the covenant right now. In glory. Golly. Oh, my goodness. I want to talk to you about Isaiah 53. We'll start, start out there. We've got, we've got a lot to cover today. i got some things I want to share with you. I think we're going to be a blessing to you. Kept me up half the night with this. Isaiah 53, verse 4. Isaiah 53, verse 4. This is the most profound passage of Scripture in the entire Old Testament talking about Messiah. The Jews know it's uh, Messianic, but they don't like this passage because their Messiah is dying here. It's the only place they, they can't write it off. They can't. They can't. Uh, can't get around it. They know it's messianic. He's dying. They had to start looking through history and seeing who who was a, claimed to be a messiah that died. Yeah. Who died like this? Listen to what it says. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. 
We esteemed him smitten of God. He was smitten of God. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Amen. Oh, we like sheep have gone astray. That doesn't leave out anybody. Oh, we like sheep have gone astray. Look at somebody on the road next to you and say, You too. We have all gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a, a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. This prophecy of the Messiah, greatest prophecy of the Messiah in the Old Testament. There are lots of them. This one is most poignant. This Messiah is like no other prophet. Every religion has their own prophets. We have a prophet. We've got lots of prophets. Prophets are dime a dozen in Christianity. Not, not, not those that rise from the dead. Let's compare our prophets. I'll compare my prophet to your prophet any day. Your prophet prophesied some good things. He's dead, though. He's still dead. Your prophet's dead. Mine, mine's alive. I, I talked to mine this morning. Hey, he's alive. We got a word today uh, from Brother Frank by the Holy Ghost. Talk to us about what we hear. Amen. What we hear. The reason you need to keep hearing about Jesus is because your life will go in the direction of that which, uh, that which you truly believe. Yep. Your life will go in the direction of that which you truly believe. And what you believe is mandated and dictated by what you constantly hear and confess. Yep. It comes in your ears and then out your mouth. What you believe is mandated by that. Yes. Yeah. Your life will go in the direction of that which you truly believe. Yes. Words guide your life. Yes. That's why we, may, we stay on the blood. That's why we stay on the grace. That's why we stay on faith. These big issues. We want our lives guided the way God wants them to go. In Genesis chapter 3. Um, Genesis chapter 3, verse uh, 9. Verse 3, 9. And the Lord God called unto Adam... And said unto him, Where art thou? He said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. I know it's pronounced naked, but I like naked better. <laughs> I was naked, and I hid myself. This sounds more naked, doesn't it? And he said, Who, who, listen to this. Who told thee that thou was naked? This is God's, God's question. Who told thee that thou was naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree wherever I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? God knew he had never told Adam anything about being naked. God is not into, into uncovering you. He's not into talking to you about what you don't have. We, we do that, but God doesn't do that. He always tell, reminding you what you do have. Amen. Looks right past your nakedness. You didn't see it. Who told you that you were naked? I know I didn't. Sure. Who you been talking to? Yeah. I can tell sometimes when I'm with my students in Dallas. I can tell they've been talking to the wrong people. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. 
been talking to the wrong people. Who you been talking to? You haven't been talking to Holler, I'll tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> not, not talking to unbelief and doubt. And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Well, God knew who it was. Nakedness is a cultural thing. Not anymore, but it used to be. The dress is a cultural thing, you know. We tell our Brazilian students, dress modestly. Well, they spray it on thinking they're modest. They spray it on thinking they're modest. <laughs> it's a different culture. <laughs> but the truth is the truth. I uh, heard a story about a young man who went to Africa. And the women there were topless. All the women in the village were topless. He was, a, he was appalled. He, he came from London. He first sent home, said, send me boxes of dresses. I've got to get these women in dresses. <laughs> and they, all, they all got saved. They all came to the Lord, you know, and he wanted to give them dresses right, right away. And I don't blame him. He would have too. He sent a big box of dresses over there, and he gave them all out. And the women just loved them. All the ladies of the village just loved them. Dressed them all up really pretty like, you know. About a week later, the chieftain came with half the men of the village. He said, you need to come to the council meeting. So he goes down to council meeting, and the missionary is in trouble. You know why? They said, why do you make our wives look like prostitutes? <laughs> and he said, What? I said, he said, I thought they looked like prostitutes before. <laughs> yeah. They said, The only women that have money to buy dresses in our culture are prostitutes. You know what he did? Lined up all the women, took the dresses back, put them back away. And little by little moved in that direction, you know what I mean. The cultural things don't drive us. The church is supposed to be setting the standards for the culture. The church was here long before culture was here. Amen. Adam and Eve, they, 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 they sinned at the red, red tree where they sinned. They were naked, ran and hid from God hid from God. You know what they did? They sowed fig leaves. They put on their fig leaves and Eve said, does this make me look fat? <laughs> and Adam sent his second sin. That's where Adam sent his second sin. He lied and said, yeah. No, I said, no. But, but they left us with this acronym, Fig Leaf. If you can put this on the board, it'd be nice. I want to give this to you in an acronym. The church and the world is dealing with this right now. Fig Leaf in an acronym is spells, it says fear, F, fear. That, that's what religion does. See, this, this, this uh, fig leaves or, or some kind of substitute them trying to 
to come to God some way without the, without the without the blood. You see what I mean? See, they didn't know they could come with blood, apparently yet. So they came with that which grew out of the ground. And God is telling them this does not work. You have to something has to die. I had to I had to make you some clothes, so he did make some clothes. But remember Cain and Abel's gifts, Cain's gift was something that grew out of the ground. Abel's gift was blood. Amen. And Abel's gift was accepted. So Adam and Eve showed up over there by the fig tree with his skirts on. I thank Lord. He didn't think much of it, did he? He tells them. He tells them. He says, who told you you were naked? It was fear that drove them. They wanted to be with God. They knew he was going to come. And they had no idea how to get to him again, how to see him again. All they heard, when they heard his voice, they were terrified. Now they used to be blessed by that voice. Now they're terrified of it. <laughs> I was talking to a young student one day. I told her about the, the, the rapture of the church, what First Thessalonians 4 says. I read through First Thessalonians 4. I said, do you hear this? Paul is saying we're just living a normal Christian life, and we hear the trumpet, and off we go. We hear the trumpet, we're just living a normal Christian life, and we hear the trumpet, and off we go. She said, Really? I said, yeah, that's what this says. I said, well, you've been terrorized by anti... She said, every time I hear it, it scares me to death, almost. I said, Paul said, comfort each other with these words. Comfort one another with these words. You ever hear any time teaching is comforting? No. <laughs> she got here? No, it never is, is it? Never comforting. It's always blasphemously, blasphemously fearful. Always. Seems like. Paul didn't teach like that. He said, comfort one another with his words. We're going to fly out of here, glory to God. Amen. Trumpet blast. Well, we have this uh, scene here with, with him standing in the garden with, with, with uh, fig leaf clothes on. And I said that, that that fig leaf spells this. Fear, <laughs> insecurity, Guilt, legalism. This is how men try to get to God. Try to get back to God by fear, insecurity, guilt, legalism, ecumenicalism. Ecumenicalism is a is a. Let me read it to you. A belief that all the denominations need to come together. I don't think all the denominations need to come together. I think they all need to die. Yeah. Yeah. Go away. Get out of the way. We'll be okay if we just get out from behind our denominational walls. Yeah. Yeah. A is for anti-Semitism. Anti-Semitism. Ecumenicalism. E-C-U-M-I-M-E-N-I-C-L-I-S-M. Anti-Semitism is a doctrine that replaces the Jews with the, with the church. Acting like the church, the church is going to take over. And it started with Rome. 
declaring that the center of the center of Christendom was Rome, Italy instead of Jerusalem. Move the center of Christianity to Rome in 318, I think it was, A.D. The Gentile church has kind of always been this way, wanting to get rid of the Jews, you understand? That won't work with God. That will not work with God at all. Why? Because this covenant with God made with the Jews. You know, he did not make this covenant with us. He still hasn't made it with me. He made it with Jesus, and I believe in Jesus. So that, that works, you understand? Anti-Semitism. Anti and the F is formalism. The rituals that replace a relationship. Repeated, repeated prayers that are not written in the Bible like Hail Mary. I don't mind that in football. That's okay in football, but not... <laughs> Like confessing sin to a priest. Who ever heard of this in the Bible? Who ever heard of that in the Bible? Up there. Special garments and robes, observances, and it's just all. Now go to Romans chapter 11. Let me give you this. Romans chapter 11. We're going to read through this Romans chapter 11. I'm going to skip a few verses, but I want to read most of it to you and give you some commentary along the way. That's really good. Fear, insecurity, guilt, legalism, ecumenicalism, anti-Semitism. And formalism. Here's what God had to say about all this. Romans 11.1 1, I say then, hath God cast away his people? God forbid, for I also am an Israelite and of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God hath not cast away his people, which he foreknew. Watch ye not what the scripture saith of Elias, or Elijah, how he maketh an incession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed thy prophets and dig down thine altars. And I am left alone, and they seek my life. But what saith the answer of God to him? I have reserved myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. Even so, then, at this present time, also there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. It cannot be works and grace together. It cannot be works and grace together. It's one or the other. See that? That's what he just said. It has, it's, it's, either, it's either you doing it or God doing it. He will not share his glory with you. Amen. Otherwise, it's no more grace. But if it be of works, then is it no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. See? You can't, you can't have a, a horse and a steer in the same, same yoke. You can't. In the Bible, they wouldn't tolerate that. And you cannot have works and grace in the same yoke. If they can be reconciled by works, then it is impossible for them to be reconciled by grace. If they can be reconciled by works at all, it is impossible for them to be reconciled by grace. This is speaking of Israel. God's to, speaking to us of Israel here. Hang on. What then? Israel hath not obtained that which he seeks for. But the election hath obtained it, and the rest were blinded. The rest were blinded. Election, all who died in faith looking forward to Jesus like Abraham. You know, everybody who died before Christ came, who died in faith with faith, in Jesus' coming, they're in glory today. Yeah. 
when he went down the, down the, the hell, he died, he went to hell, he brought them all out with him, glory to God. Even though their faith was some sometime way before, before he even came. And all Christ's contemporaries like Peter, James, and John, Barnabas, and Silas, and all those guys, they're all with him too. You think Jesus is going to forget you? He didn't forget Abraham. He didn't forget his friends when he was here. He came for you too. He's not going to forget you. Amen. As surely as Abraham went to heaven, you're going to go. You're going to spend eternity with God. Amen. Spend eternity. And when I say go to heaven, I mean be with God. Wherever he is, that's heaven. If Jesus, if Jesus ever decided to leave, leave heaven, I'd go with him. He's not going to go. He's not going to go. He's not going to do that. But I, if he did, I'd go with him. Wherever Jesus is, is where heaven is. Amen. 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 Can I get a good amen? Amen. Here? Amen. Amen. His right, not mine. Amen. Uh, let's look at verse uh, eight. Uh, verse uh, eight. Yeah. According as it is written, God hath given them the spirit of slumber. Eyes that they should not see, and ears that they should not hear, lest unto this day. And David saith, Let their table be made a snare and a trap, and a stumbling block and a recompense unto them. Let their eyes be darkened that they may not see, and bow down their back always. I say then, Have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid, but rather that through their fall. Salvation is coming to the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy. He makes the jealous. He makes the Jews jealous. Can I get some water, Miss Ann? You make the Jews jealous. The blessing that is upon you is for them, and they know this. The blessing that is upon you is their blessing. You making them jealous. Glory to God. now, if the fall of them be the riches of the world, the diminishing of them the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? Oh, it's going to get better when they come in. It's going to get a lot better for us all when they get in. Amen. For I speak to you Gentiles for, for as much as I am the apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify mine office. Paul magnifies his office right here for us to understand that this is a big deal. He's trying to, trying to get you to say, Listen to me only right now. Listen to me only right now. That's what he's trying to say. I have the word for you Gentiles. I magnify my office because you need to focus in on what I'm telling you. If by any means I may provoke the, the, to emulation them which are my flesh, I might save some of them. For if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world, what shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead, and this is all going to happen in, in a good time. The Jews' return to God is tied to the end of time. See that? Life from the dead. He's talking about the resurrection. The Jews coming, coming into the family of God again is tied to the end time. It's not going to happen tomorrow. Well, it could, I guess. Y'all, y'all want to take a vote? I'm not doing good. But. Was it supposed to happen yesterday? Really? 
I didn't get the news. I didn't get the memo. Who said it was supposed to happen yesterday? Another kook wrote a book. Okay, glory to God. Verse 25, For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery. How many like mysteries? I love a good mystery, don't you? Here's one. He don't want you to be ignorant of it. It is a mystery, but it shouldn't be a mystery to you. Sadly, this one is a mystery to most of the church. I would not have you ignorant, brethren, of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits, because when you don't know this mystery, you get stupid. When you don't know this mystery, church gets wise in their own conceits. Conceitedness is nothing but stupidity. Here it is. Ignorance of this mystery always makes religious folks conceited, conceited about the church's place and Israel's place. Always makes the church ignorant and conceited about not knowing where Israel stands and who the church is and who, the, who God still is to, toward Israel. Until, is a, listen to this, listen to this word. He says that the blindness in part is happened to Israel until, everybody say until, until, until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. Until is a time word, and Israel will not be blind forever. And this, this is the next word. Fullness is a quantity word, and the Gentiles will not be welcome forever. Gentiles will not be, be welcome forever. There's coming a time when the fullness of Gentiles will come to see. That's what it says. As time is clicking away right now. It's going toward the last, the last day. We, Peter said, In the last days I pour my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Did he not? Did he not say that? In the last days. That was 2,000 years ago. Peter said that 2,000 years ago, was the last days. Think about that. If that was the last days, and we've been here 6,000 years, it must be someplace close to the last of the last days, don't you think? Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm just simple about that. Maybe, maybe, maybe we're running out of time. <laughs> so if it doesn't happen pretty soon, it's not going to be the last, last days. It's going to be the middle of the, the Pentecost will be in the middle of the days. To the last days. In the last days I poured my spirit upon all flesh. It started then. The last days probably began then. Interesting to me, and I hear Christians talk about this kind of thing. They have no clue oftentimes how it's going to play out. Here's how, but here's how it's playing, going to play out. God is going to invite Israel back in. They're going to wake up. And the church is going to be full. God has reaped all of the harvest of the earth He wants. Amen. You know, when did this start? Anybody know when the, the harvest of the earth started? For, for real? It started on the day Jesus looked at the Father and took up His promise. Because in Psalm 2, God said to Jesus, Ask of me, I'll give you the inheritance for the, the heathen for your inheritance. He must have been th thinking about Oklahoma when he said heathen. <laughs> I'll give you the heathen for your inheritance, or Texas. I'll give, you the, I'll give you the heathen for the inheritance, your inheritance. At least seven years went by 
maybe, maybe as many as 10 years went by after Jesus paid the price. And Christ paid the price on the cross and rose again from the dead and said, seated at the right hand of the Father. About seven years went by on, on earth at least, understand, before he did that. That's because when he did that that day, Acts chapter 10 kicked in. Acts chapter 10 happened, and Cornelius got a visit from an angel. Cornelius, the first Gentile, got a visit from an angel saying, Go find Peter. He's in Joppa. That's when the gospel came to the Gentiles. Amen. That's when it all started. Yeah. All this opening up to the whole wide world opened up right there. Mm -hmm. Amen. Not one Gentile got saved in Acts chapter 2. Did you know that? Uh, 30,000 people got saved, but every last one of them was a Jew. No Gentiles were saved at Pentecost. Peter's message was to the Jews. His message to the Jews was what? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. His message to the Gentiles was, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be you shall be Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. What? How do you make it so easy? People talk about me being light on sin. I, I think God's kind of light on sin if you look at, that, look at it that way. But it's not light on sin. He, he had Jesus pay for it. Yeah. In the worst kind of terms, yeah. most miserable day that uh, you can imagine dying on a cross by the way Jesus did. He had to pay a high price. And he looked at his father and said, I want the Gentiles. So God sent an angel and I started gathering in Gentiles. Look at you. Look at, uh, are there any, Jews in the, any, any Jewish people in this place today? Now we're all about the bacon eating, shrimp eating, catfish eating. Heathen. And Jesus wanted you, Jesus wanted you just like you are. And the Father gave it, gave it to him. Verse 26. And so all Israel shall be saved. As is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer, and shall turn away unrighteousness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins. God once and for all, once and for all time has taken away all sins. If Israel's sins are taken away, but yours are. Yes. Amen. Because you care. Israel doesn't even care about what God is saying. God does not, God does not love Israel because they love him. God loves Israel because God loves Israel. That's all he can say. He didn't love them because they're big, they're strong, they're beautiful, any of that. He didn't love them because they, they, they're good to him. No, he loves them. He loves them. As concerning the gospel, they are enemies. Listen to this. As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes. But as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sakes. God does, not, God does not bless Israel because they love him or, or, or us. God loves and blesses Israel for the sake of the Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Glory to God. Verse 29, now listen to this. Verse 20, 29 says, For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. See where that verse is? You see this passage, that, where that verse is? That's not talking about you, you, you speaking in tongues, he's not going to take it away from you. That's not talking about the gifting on your life. He's not going to take it away from him. It does mean that. He's not going to do that. And when he, when he said that, he was talking about Israel. The gifts and calling of God are without repentance. 
Without God ever changing his mind, that's what repentance means. Metanoia. Metanoia. Meta means change. Noia means mind. Change mind. The simple fact of, of the matter is that repentance is not about sorrow. Repentance is not about the direction you're going. Repentance is about what you believe, what you, what you, what you think. I mean, right. how you think. I was a boy in a Pentecostal church. Anybody know what Pentecostal church is like? Yeah. I wouldn't trade my heritage at all. I wouldn't. But my Pentecostal heritage had some strange ideas. Did yours? Mine, mine had some strange ideas. Like we had to repent every Sunday night. Kind of had to get saved over and over and over, you know. Have our revival meetings on Sunday night. Everybody get right with God to go back to church on, Sunday, on Monday. Go back to school for, for school on Monday. And then we'd be, we'd be kind of flat and low on Wednesday. <laughs> back in. Sunday morning cold church. And Sunday night be in a, under great conviction. Get saved again, 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 again. Kind of sad. Nobody had any security. Nobody felt like they were part of a family. We're all servants of God, disciples, trying to hold on to what we had. Let me tell you something. If Jesus can't hold on to you, you can't be held on to. That's right. If Jesus, what he did, cannot keep you, you can't be, you can't be kept. Amen. I got good news for you today. What he did is eternal. Amen. He can keep you. But the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. If it, if it feels that way toward Israel, how does it feel about you? Of course it feels that way about you. He will never change his mind about the church. Verse 30, verse 30 says, For as ye in times past have not believed God, but have now obtained mercy through their unbelief. Wow, think of that. Even so have these also now believed that through your mercy they also may obtain mercy. Every time you witness to someone, God has been merciful to them through you. Every time you witness to somebody, God is being merciful to them. I love this verse in, in Romans 8. It says, this is the spirit of adoption. He gave, he gave us a spirit of adoption. The spirit is an adoptive spirit. You know what that means? Every time you talk to somebody about Jesus, the Spirit starts collecting up the adoption papers in heaven. He starts filling out the adoption papers in heaven. This is about to come in. Could be my baby. Starts filling out adoption papers. He's a spirit of adoption. He doesn't have to pray about it. He doesn't have to see if he, he wants you or not. If you're witnessing to him, he wants them. Amen. Amen is powerful. Because the Spirit that's in you is the spirit of adoption. Verse 32. For God hath concluded them all in unbelief that he might have mercy upon all. This mercy is only for unbelievers. Yeah, this one is. God concludes everybody in in unbelief so he can be merciful. Uh, That's a little confusing, isn't it? makes it seem like God wants everybody to be in unbelief so he can show his mercy. Now, he doesn't say he wanted them to be that way. He said he concluded that they are. 
There's a story in 2 Kings chapter 5. You may have to turn there. You don't, you don't want, if you don't want to, you don't have to. But 2 Kings chapter 5. In Syria, this day, was uh, the prophet was Elisha. Elisha, Elijah's protege. The Syrian king had a great general named Naaman. And Naaman was a leper. Was a leper. Great man, but he was a leper. Great man who was a leper. And he had a little servant girl who was an Israeli. Israeli servant girl. And she loved this general. Apparently he was good, good to her. She said, oh, that my master were in Israel. The prophet could heal him of his leprosy. He sent him down. The king hears of this prophet that heals in, in, in Israel. So he sends him down. He goes to the king of Israel. I'll just tell you the story. The king of Israel says, What? Naaman said, Yeah, you heal me of this leprosy. About a letter from the king. He said, well, why is he trying to start a war with me? I don't understand what's going on. He's terrified. The king was scared and spitless. And an interesting thing happened. The prophet said, heard about it. He said, send him out here to me. So Naaman goes out to the, to the prophet's house, Elisha's house. Elisha won't even go out to see this great general. This great general who could just squash them all. Won't even go out of his house to go see the guy. <laughs> Naaman's out there with his horses and his men and all. And Elisha sends his servant out and says, go tell him to dip seven times in the Jordan River. Go back to his business. Naaman gets so mad. Says he was wroth. How dare he... He says two things in, that, in this passage that are really powerful. Two words. He says, I thought... Oh. That's two bad words right there. He might as well have been cussing. Because when you think how God is supposed to do it, you're about to mess up really bad. I thought, surely, the prophet would come out and wave his hand over the leper and cure it. He whirled around and took off. He said, the waters of Syria are much better than the waters of, Georgia, of Israel anyway. One of his servants came up to him and said, call him father. My father? This guy knew how to talk to his, man, his, his, his boss, didn't he? He said, my father, if the man of God had asked you to do something difficult, would you not have done it? Because he knew he would have. If he had asked you to do something big, wouldn't you have done it? Would you not have done it? Well, how, how easy is it just to wash and be clean? That touched Naaman's heart, and he did. He, did, he got off his horse and went down to the Jordan River and dipped seven times, and the Bible says that his flesh came back to him like a child. Brand new flesh. Amen. Stay with me. It's a good story. He comes back to the prophet's house, and Naaman said... In verse 17, I said, not, Then I pray thee, be given to thy servant two mules' burden of earth 
For thy servant will henceforth neither offer neither burnt offering or sacrifices unto any other gods but unto the Lord. He made a change, right? He said, I know there's no God in, God in anywhere but in Israel. Your God is a, is a true God. Hear this. In this thing, the Lord pardoned, what? This what it says in verse 18. In this thing, the Lord pardoned thy servant, this is still the Syrian talking, that when my master goeth into the house of Rimmon, that's a false God, to worship there, and he leans on my hand, and I bow myself in the house of Rimmon, when I bow down myself in the house of Rimmon, the Lord pardoned thy servant in this thing. Ah, uh, what's he saying? He said, I still work for this, this, this pagan. We're going to go into, that, into the, the house of that false god. And I'm going to be there, and he's going to, bow, he's going to lean on me, and I'm going to have to bow with him in the house of Rimmon. He knows this is wrong because that's why he's asking forgiveness. Yeah. It does not matter. It does not matter. I said, it does not matter what his heart said. His actions showed something different. That's why Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would not bow. I mean, he could have said what we, we, you might say today. I may, may be bowing on the outside, but I'm just standing up on the inside. You know? You're a rebellious kid, you know? He sits down, but he, he's just standing up on the inside. Obedient but not submissive. We can say that, but that Meshach and Abednego wouldn't say that. Because they knew the very action of bowing was called worship. It always has been. Always has been. Action of bowing is worship. That's why these kids, these kids, these, these, these pastors here, try to get us to move when we worship. To get us to clap our hands, to stand, to, to, to move our bodies because our, the movement of your body is an action of worship yeah. to God. Yeah. You move it for the Dallas Cowboys and the whole you Sooners don't Come on. Come on. We worship, we worship almost everything. He says, The Lord forgive my, my bowing down. It's, I know it's sin. But I don't know what to do. Except ask forgiveness. Asking forgiveness, listen to this, before it happens. Can you ask forgiveness in advance? Can you say, I'm going to do this, Lord forgive me, but I'm going to do it anyway? That is a good question, isn't it? I didn't come up with it, but he did. He said, Lord forgive me in this, it's a real simple answer to this. The reason it didn't work for Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego because they had a law that said they could not do that. Who is Naaman? A Syrian. He's just like you. Naaman is a Gentile, just like you. And when Jesus died on the cross, he paid for every sin that was ever going to be, not just all that had been committed, but all of them that were going to be committed. And what Naaman got that day because Jesus had not died that, that day. But Paul told us that Christ was slain before the foundation of the world. Christ was slain before the foundation of the world. What does that mean? That means God was, God was going to do it. It was coming. That payment was coming. 
as far as God was concerned, that, that money was in the bank. I think that day, he wrote a post-dated check on the blood of Jesus for this guy. He don't write post-dated checks today because the money's in the bank. You got the money already. The blood payment is there. Everything you've ever done. Everything you ever will do. You need to confess it to Jesus because the payment's already been made. As far as God is concerned, Christ was in, God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. Reconciling the whole world unto himself. Think about that. God really got over his anger. That's why when Paul opens every, every book he writes, every single book, I think Paul wrote 13 books, not 14. Because of the 13 in a row start, start the same way. Anybody know what it says? Paul. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. Every, every, every first word of every letter Paul writes says Paul. And then he says, grace to you from God our Father. Grace and peace. Grace and peace. How does he know that God is at peace with you? He wrote that to the, to the maniacal Corinthians. They're lunatics there. He said, from peace from God. How did he know that they were at peace with God? How did he know that the Corinthians hadn't acted up? How did he know that they hadn't always been sleeping with each other? Some of them, some of them had been. How did he know? Their peace was not based on how they performed. Their peace was based on what God had did, God had done through Christ. Amen. Lord, in this, forgive that servant who will henceforth offer neither burnt offerings nor sacrifice unto any other gods but unto the Lord. Amen. Here, here where it says in verse 19, the prophet says to the man, he said unto him, Go in peace. It's like he preached the gospel of peace to him. Go in peace. Let's go back to Hebrews 11. I mean, Romans 11. I'm almost done. Can you get five more minutes? Yeah. Okay. Verse 35. Who hath first given to him, and it shall be recompensed unto him again. God believes, still believes in seed time and harvest. For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. Listen, listen to these words of Zechariah, and I'm almost finished. Zechariah 13. In that day there shall be a fountain opened to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. And it shall come to pass that in that day that the prophets shall be ashamed every one of his vision when he hath prophesied. Neither shall they wear a rough garment to deceive. But he shall... Say, I am no prophet, I am a husbandman. For man taught me to keep cattle from my youth. And one shall say unto him, What are these wounds in thine hand? This is what they're going to say when they, ask, when they see Jesus. When they see the Lord. When he shall answer, then he shall answer, These with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. When the Jews see Jesus, their eyes will see these marks, the covenant marks of his sacrifice in his hands and his feet. They'll honor him as their Messiah. How marks will they see? How marks will they see? 
And as you see the marks of the covenant, which are still with him right now. They're still on him right now. Let's see the marks in his hands, his feet, marks in his side. Probably see the, 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 the puncture wounds in his brow. I will take you through this real quickly. Jesus bled five times. I want everybody to count with me. Would you hold up a hand? Hold up the kiss. He, he bled it as his eighth day on the planet as a circumcised Jew in covenant with God, circumcision. He bled in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was sweating blood. Sweating blood. He bled at the whipping post. He bled when they put a crown of thorns on his head. He bled when they crucified him. Raise your other hand now. Hold that one up. Raise your other hand. He bled when they were nailing his right hand, nailing his right foot, nailing his left hand, nailing his left foot, and they opened his side. Grace upon grace. He bled five places at the cross. And his five speaks of the grace of God. Hear me. Look up to, toward heaven for a minute. Hold your hands up in front of your face. Think about this. What it says in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15 says, We come with our sacrifice of praise unto God. Jesus gave his life, the sacrifice of his life, the sacrifice of his blood. What you do is remind yourself of what he did and bring him the sacrifice of praise. Think about his blood. Think about that crucifixion. Thank him on the basis of his blood, not on the basis of your blood, on the basis of his blood. I praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Lord. Jesus, you are Lord. We thank you today for your death, for your burial, for your resurrection. We thank you that the blood has taken away all of our sins, glory to God. Amen. Now when you lift your hands, you'll see it differently, won't you? You'll think about it. grace and grace. Be not carried about with divers and strange doctrines. For it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace. Not with meats which have not profited them that have been occupied therein. We have an altar whereof they have no right to eat which serve the tabernacle. For the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp. Wherefore Jesus also that he might sanctify the people for his own blood suffered without the camp. Let us go forth therefore unto him without the camp, bearing the, his reproach. For we, here we have no continuing city, but we seek one unto come, verse 15, but by him therefore let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. Continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Giving thanks to his name. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Would you bow your heads with me for just a minute? Please bow with me for a minute. Now, Father, I thank you for the, the power of the blood of Jesus. What you did at Calvary when you gave your life to Jesus. You gave your life for every man, woman, boy, and girl. You shed your blood 
you became the absolute focal point and the expression of the grace of God to man. The absolute expression of the grace of God to man. All I can say is hallelujah. Thank you for these gathered here today. I'm asking, Father, those that are here who need to know you as Savior, they come to know you as Savior so that they can know you as their high priest. Bless them, Father. Bless them to come know you as Savior so they can know you as high priest. Amen. Your head's about just for a moment. I want to ask you something. The gospel is simple. Christ died for our sin, according to the scriptures, and he was buried. He was buried. He was really buried. And he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. If you will believe this message, that that if you believe that like it's true, because it is true, the Bible says you become a new creature. Oh, things pass away, and behold, all things become new. Right now is the greatest invitation you've ever had to be saved, because it's, it's upon you right now. And the greatest invitation any church can give anybody is this invitation not to join, not, not to join the church, but to join to God. Be saved, be born again. This is this church's invitation to you today. Did you come to know Jesus today? Did you say yes to Jesus? Did you say yes to the one who died for you, who loved you when you did not know him, when you hated him? Romans 5.10 says, For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. <laughs> that, that means it's, our, it's easier to stay in than it is to get in. And it cannot be easier to get in. It's easier to stay in than it is to get in, and it couldn't be any easier to get in in the first place. God is so good. He's not looking to minimize Jesus. Jesus' reward He's looking to bring that reward to a full measure, the fullness of the Gentiles. Listen, come on.